wealth, security, and opportunity are a byproduct of success. However, it often comes at the expense of deep personal satisfaction and happiness. This is the Design Your Destiny podcast, and I am your host, Penny Chason, board-certified hypnotist and number one international best-selling author. I work with the highly successful influencers, business leaders, corporate leaders who desire a life by design. In this podcast, I will bring to you succinct solo episodes and interviews that dissect the challenges of success and highlights the ways to leverage your most underutilized asset, your subconscious mind. If you desire peace and happiness in your life, better health and stronger relationships so you can enjoy the success that you have created, keep listening because this podcast is for you. We're back with another episode of Design Your Destiny, and I have a very special guest today. This is going to be an episode that not only are you going to want to listen to, uh, whether it directly pertains to you or not, because it will give you a deep understanding, but you're going to want to share this episode. You're going to want to share it far and wide because the level of empowerment that is going to come from what you're going to hear today is just it's going to be limitless, limited only by our own beliefs, because this podcast is all about how we can co-create, how we can get out of our own way, how we can rewire our brain, how we can reprogram and create a life that is meaningful to us, a life that brings us peace and where we can create abundance in our lives. And as I've said before, of course, that abundance extends beyond financial gains, but in all of the little things in life. Our awareness of who we are, what we are, the attachments that we have to expectations will help us to shift and change and guide and direct our own lives. We have that powerful. We are that powerful. And I want to introduce you now to someone that I've known for four and a half years and talk about a powerhouse. I have watched her evolution uh, as a person. I have watched her evolution in her business. And I sit in awe of her because when she began her journey, when you talk about the spiritual journey, our personal growth aspect of it, you know, my shaman says that everything we know would fit into the tip of our pinky. When I think of my place on my journey, if you had a collection of encyclopedias and you pulled one page out of one encyclopedia and you looked at one little paragraph, that's what I know. And I consider my guests to be further ahead of me and and to see what's possible when we continue to lean in and go amazes me. So my guest is Sarah Intonato. She is a coach and consultant to parents of children with special needs. Now, this isn't what she always did. She's uh, been a yoga instructor. She has been a business coach and mentor to other yoga instructors in their business. And in the last, what's it been, Sarah, two years? Yeah. Your entire, the direction of your business, your life, it just literally turned on its head. Sure did. And it was yeah. something I resisted, I think, at first because- yeah. It wasn't what I planned. And I'll use air quotes around planned. You know how plans go. We, we, we know how we know how plans <laughs> go. And I think that's a perfect way to start because people often talk about their purpose mm. in life. And they're and, and people ask me, Penny, what's my dharma? I need to find my dharma. And my answer is always lean in, be curious, and don't judge what gets put in front of you. And I'm going to end with this statement and then I'm going to let you take it away. There's something about being an experiencer that allows you to facilitate people through challenging times in their lives. And I'm going to let you take it away from that because I don't want to steer this too much because you have a very unique perspective. Thank you, Penny. I am so honored to be here. And I love the way you began because it very much reminds me of when I was first given a snippet of what my true dharma is, which is working with families of children with needs. 
I didn't want it. My son was two. I have two children, a boy and a girl. And my son was two. He was newly diagnosed with autism. He's 13 now and thriving. And I thankfully had many years of spiritual study and practice under my belt before I became a parent. So I had a child, he's diagnosed with autism. Life took a detour and I was handling it thanks to my spiritual tools. And I had many family members, friends say things to me like, hey, you've got some tools here. You should write a book and help other families get through things like this. And I immediately shut them down and said, no, that's not what I want. That's not my path. I am Sarah, the yoga and wellness person. This is what I'm most passionate about doing. That's how I help people. Case closed. In hindsight, of course, what I was really saying was, I need to do my own healing around this before I feel equipped to truly be able to help someone else because this is new for me. It's a little scary. It's unknown. I don't really have heads or tails of it yet. I'm not comfortable helping anyone else until I feel like I can breathe and have energy to spare. And right now I don't. So in hindsight, that's what my resistance really was. And I really just embarked upon my own healing path. And that's what resulted in where I am now. Truly. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm going to interject with a question here because I, I have never had a child with special needs. And I was fortunate that when my children were younger, my husband wanted to be the house husband so that I could pursue my education in my career. Now I love my kids. I spent time with my kids, but yeah. I was not the person cut out for doing, organizing all the things because it was busy yeah. and my children are neurotypical. So when you say that you embark on your own journey of healing, your personal growth, of working through this, what would you say to someone who says, my child or my children are a handful? I have no time for me. What do you say to that? We all have 24 hours in a day. And how you choose to spend that time is up to you. And I'm thankful. And I really feel like it was part of my divine path that I was a student of spirituality, yoga, and ancient study before I became a parent. I didn't know any different. I had been waking up, taking care of my own well-being first, and then going about my day before I even had gotten married. So it was just what I did. By that point, it was very much like brushing my teeth wake up, take care of myself, go do the day. And I didn't think anything special about it until years later, I picked my head up, started looking around at all the other parents who had kids with needs and thought, oh, they're not doing this. Like I assumed they would. They don't even know how to care for themselves. They feel very guilty caring for themselves. And yet what I have seen now in my work when I speak to the doctors, the therapists, all the people who are helping this population, they all say something very similar, which is that the parents don't realize that they're the problem here. The kids are doing great. The kids have a lot of potential. The parents are so overwhelmed. They're so stressed. They're in PTSD. They're in burnout. They don't realize that that energy is affecting everyone in the house most so they're very sensitive kids. And so to all the parents out there who think I don't have time, my kid needs me, I should take that time, energy, money, resources, and put it into my kid. I'm going to challenge you to flip that script and trust that by you investing all of that in you, your child will have a much better outcome full stop. I have to agree 1000%, but from a different perspective, as a hypnotist, when I did my second training, because I have, you know, basic and advanced hypnosis training, the second training that I went through, the uh, mentor was ABD, his PhD in psychology. 
And he actually walked away from psychotherapy to do hypnosis because he got results so much quicker. And it was so much more effective than just literally dredging up the problem and talking about it. Now, I know that's not what all therapists do. Everyone has their unique skill set that they bring to the table. And just like anything else, they're excellent surgeons and they're not so great surgeons and lawyers and cops and the whole nine yards. But he was very emphatic that if you work with children, you work with the parents first. Because until the parents have a level of understanding of what the child is experiencing, they don't understand the impact of their own behavior and expectations and how their stress and emotions affect their child. And even though I don't work with kids, thousands of hours of working with adults, when we need to unravel a a deeper belief, a deeper pattern, nine times out of 10, that mechanism that they're using to cope, and I I really don't like to use that word, but the, the behavior pattern or the thought pattern that's in place is a result of a misinterpretation or a misperception of what they saw as a child meant. Mm. So they may see parents who are tense about money. The parents may not ever talk about it, but it can just be very subtle messages and they know the strain and the tension every time that bills are discussed or buying groceries are discussed. And they take that meaning that, you know, um, maybe money's not available to me. I need to be fearful of this. And oh my gosh, what if this, this is a trickle down effect. We all get caught in our thoughts and our spirals. What if mom and dad can't afford groceries? What will happen to me? Yeah. Right. Will I be taken care of? And even when we hide things from our kids, they sense our emotions. So when you're dealing with a group of highly gifted and sensitive children, who pick up on those cues so much more than those of us who are running through our everyday life, stuck in our heads and our thoughts and, and what we're doing. I can only imagine how that effect is, is amplified because not only are the parents dealing with the stress of this uniquely gifted child and they don't know where to start with this child, how to get the resources, but there's also grief there. Yes. A lot. There's grief. And I, I, I would love it if you would touch on that. Absolutely. I, I'm not a talk therapy person. I've done it at different points in my life, but after my son was diagnosed, I realized I need something. I did not have hypnosis at that time in my life. Very thankful that I have it now. And yoga, the ancient science of yoga authentically taught was how I healed. So I really immersed myself, took another trip to India and basically calmed my nervous system down enough to release the feelings of grief that needed to be released. And I will also point out that I took a risk. I left my husband and my children at home with supports and caregivers to help so that I could step away and be by myself to do this because I had a very strong feeling that the mom is the glue of the family. I felt like the glue holding everyone together. And I felt like if I touched on my grief and I started to melt, everything around me would burn down. And I felt very responsible for other people's well being. I felt very vulnerable. My kids were tiny at the time. My son was two, my daughter was one. I was still nursing, I think. And I just felt like, okay, I have to set my sights on a few months down the road when I can step away and really give myself some space to do the inner work, to heal, to make peace with this grief, with this frustration, this anger, all these things that are really part of grief to move through it. And you know, what's really interesting when I went back to India, flew across the world, gave myself some space, did the work on my nervous system. I told my roommate who I shared a house with in India, I felt like I worked through it in a few days. I just needed that space and those tools. But when you're constantly pushing it down, we're telling yourself, I'll do it later. It becomes this bigger and bigger thing. And 
the more you ignore it, the more work it takes to untangle your life from it. And so I'm very thankful that I didn't wait long before recognizing I need some healing here and I need to grieve to allow this to move out so I can get to the other side because it didn't become like the pink elephant in the room for years at that point. But I meet a lot of families who freeze. They don't know what to do. They don't feel confident enough to take space or to say, I need to step away, whether it's for a therapy session once a week or you know, going to a retreat for a few days or healing or whatever your healing tools are. It's crucial that you use them or find them if you don't have them yet in your life, because that unspoken grief, that thing that needs attention and isn't getting it becomes very much like what Michael Singer calls in The Untethered Soul, which is a fantastic book, like the thorn in your arm that you don't want to pull out because it feels painful. So you have a choice. You can either pull out the thorn that feels painful in the moment and might need a day to heal or stop feeling tender, and then you're fine. Or you can leave the thorn in the arm and put a bandage on it. And you'll tell everyone, oh, no, I'm fine. I've got a bandage on it. But nobody can hug you because your arm is tender because the thorn's still inside. And you can't do your exercises anymore because your thorn might get pushed or, or touched. And then you have to put a bigger cushion on it just to be able to go about your daily routines. And then you can't sleep on that side because you still have the thorn in your arm. So you have to sleep on the other side or get new pillows. And you keep telling everyone, I'm fine. This thorn doesn't bother me anymore. But meanwhile, you've built all these constructs in your life to avoid the thorn instead of just pulling out the thorn. And I think that grief is very much like that, especially in this context, because you're grieving and yet you still have to function for, in my case, what was a toddler, toddlers who really still needed me. And I shudder to think what I would have been like and would be like now had I not just pulled that thorn out, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I wanna touch on two things. I'm gonna start with the second one first. You talk about the grief, you talk about the thorn, and a grief in this situation is different from my perspective than grief of losing someone who's transitioned to the other side. Because every day when you wake up and you look at your child, you're reminded. Every time you go to a function or an event or a birthday party, and your child is facing those potential challenges, you are reminded, yeah. which really comes down to not, this is my perspective, and please correct me if I'm wrong, not focusing around healing the grief for what your child may be missing out on, but coming in, surrendering and coming into acceptance and processing the grief around the expectation of what you thought that child's life was going to be. I think that's an important distinction. Am I on the right track there? Absolutely. It's a very important distinction because very often what I see in front of me, whether it's my child or another child with autism or other types of needs, they're there fully present, wanting to experience things that inspire them, whether they be people or places or different experiences in life, they're open and ready. It's the people, the adults around them with all their stuff, understandably so. It's a big detour. And this is vulnerable and I'm really glad we're going here because I remember, like you said, every birthday party, you're reminded, oh, my kid is different. Not bad just different. And this isn't the experience I thought I was signing up for. No one plans to be a parent to a kid with needs. There's no guide manual that falls from the sky when your child receives a diagnosis. And yet here you are still having to deal with it. I remember for years, my husband, who's a great man and a great dad, would avoid social media like the plague when everyone was posting their back to school pictures. Because he would say, you know, it, he would first deflect all his anger at them. It's so self-indulgent. You know, they're putting these kids in their outfits. Who cares? And, you know, 
I knew it really wasn't about the other people at all. It's painful. Right. And it's painful to think like, well, I have the kid who it's hard to get him to look at the camera. And so I may not even get the picture because he may not hold still long enough. And he, when he was young, went to school on the small bus and doesn't look like what everyone else's back to school pictures look like. He and my daughter may or may not hug or hold hands in the picture. If you gave him a sign to hold up that said, I'm going into third grade today, he might throw it on the floor. He might hold it and wiggle it around. You know, it, there was no straightforward idea of what that picture would look like. I always took them. I still take them. But it made him really confronted by feelings of his own inadequacy, his own grief that he was trying to avoid and that he eventually made peace with. And it wasn't until he made peace with it that he realized, wow, the kid in front of me here is so amazing. Now when my daughter who's neurotypical has her friends over, who are great kids, by the way, great preteen girls. And then they go home. He's like, they're nothing like my Rocco. He's so special and he's so pure and his energy is so amazing. And, and there's something about him that's just so loving in a way these other kids are not and, and so unique and, and attentive in ways that these other kids are not. How amazing that we get to experience this. He didn't get there until he first had to admit to himself I feel sad when I see other people's back to school pictures. I feel so triggered when I see the family portraits of everyone in their cute matching outfits at Christmas time and looking in the camera together, you know, and having this wholesome picture of what a family should like, should look like, because I don't have that. And it was up to him to heal that when he was ready in his own time. I've certainly had my own experiences like this. And you really heal heal from them when you realize, oh, those triggers are nobody else's fault. It's not the family with the cute kids going on the school bus. That's the problem. The problem is within me. And thankfully, I have the opportunity to heal that. What a gift. It allows me to grow. It allows me to have a different experience than what I thought. And it's fascinating to allow everyone to have their own time with this process, but much like you said before, around this specialist who wouldn't work with the children until he worked with the parents, much like Brené Brown doesn't work with an organization unless the C-level executives are participating because it's very much a top-down energy. I see this ability for kids to be present and connect and co-regulate and be at peace in the world around them when their parents are doing it. And I think to just recapitulate on that is, you know, as you and I have that discussion, we're not blaming parents. It's about empowering you to realize that when you use your personal power to shift your thinking, your feeling, and to take ownership of your own self-care, it improves your ability to be present for your child. The other thing that you said I wanted to touch on was when you got to India within just a few days, it seemed to fall away. But for most people who don't have that routine morning practice, it may take some time to build in the habits of those tools to sustain that. Because typically when we get stressed out, the first thing we do is we give up the things that take care of ourselves because we've been so indoctrinated, especially this isn't just for women, but especially for women of mine and your age, where our mothers were taught that you're the caregiver. You are the glue that holds the family together. And that's what we witnessed. Yeah. So we pick that up by default. Um, what overall, what, what has your journey look like, looked like over the last few years? Over the last few years, well, I haven't been to India in a while, of course, COVID, um, and all of that put a little delay on that, but I'm happy to say I am going back in January to study once again. And it feels like coming home to myself in a way that I still need in a, in a different capacity, because I think if I didn't have lessons to keep learning, I probably wouldn't be here in this lifetime anymore. I'm still evolving. I still have my work to do. I'm by no means a perfect person or a perfect parent or a perfect anything. Um, I'm just here 
learning and growing. And like you said at the start of this episode, the more you learn, the more you realize it's all in the tip of your little finger. One of the best teachings I received early in my yoga tenure as a student was the more I learn, the more I realize I know nothing. And so I'm still carrying on that path. And for the last few years, it's been very much what I imagine other parents of kids with needs are doing. I'm doing my yoga practice at home, just like I've always done in between my India trips. I wake up in the morning, I meditate in silence. I get my kids off to school. I throw my mat down, I get on it. Getting out in nature is also very important for me, whether I do it for fitness or just for the quiet. I like to go out, you know, put my phone in airplane mode and just hear the owls, hear the sounds of nature around me and feel the vibration of being in that quiet. For me, that's very important. Um, It's also, believe it or not, being at first, you know, home all the time with COVID and doing a lot of virtual everything brought my son and I much closer together. I always had a very strong relationship with him, but it gave the two of us a chance to get to know each other more. For example, I was always the great mom, teacher, guide, and my husband was the fun guy. Well, it gave me a chance to be the fun person too and find ways to bond with him that were outside of my comfort zone and and brought us both a lot of joy. So for me, caring for myself, it's been wonderful to prioritize sleep. I've always prioritized clean eating because you need energy to walk this path as a good parent and continue to have the reserves to do your healing work, especially when you're stressed, especially when it's uncomfortable. Can't do that if you're burnt out or not fueling your body well. So for me, my daily yoga and meditation practice are essential. A clean diet is essential. Good sleep is essential. Time in nature is essential. Um, In the winter, I live in Montauk, New York. I bundle up and I still go outside. even if it's not for a long time, just to be in fresh air and and be in nature. And those are things that bring me a lot of peace. And that's really what my process is like. But I would say if I had only 15 minutes for self-care today, maybe the kids are homesick or there's something going on, I would go to my yoga mat and I would put in all of my energy for 15 minutes, even if it weren't my full hour and a half practice that I normally have. And I would be so present and so focused in those 15 minutes that I would leave the mat feeling no regrets. This was my best today. I'm really proud that I did something when I could have done nothing. And I think that's a really important place to hold your attention when you have a very full life as a parent, especially. Focus on what you can do instead of worrying about what you can't. That's a very important distinction. Yeah, I, I talk about it often. I love the book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. And there's an entire chapter dedicated to always do your best. Yeah. And I think that many times we gloss over that, what it means to do our best. And it simply is what you just said, to give it what you have in the moment. You yeah. can't do any better than what you have in the moment uh, to give. Yeah, definitely. I remember when COVID hit, you and I were in a mastermind together. I'm going to give her a shout out, Tara Newman. uh, It was, um, she hosts a podcast. I think it's still the Bold Money Revolution. Anyway, we'll give her a little, give her a little shout out. I love Tara. That's how we met. But I remember when you were having challenges for school placement for Rocco and around that same time maybe about six months later you joined a coaching program I was in that also had a business piece to it and in that business piece you learned the art of um, basically being able to dismantle beliefs and to get people to see the other side of a situation and you took that school system by storm, didn't you? Do I, am I remembering that correctly? You are, you are. And it was, I, one of my crowning achievements is not only did we take the school system by storm, but I can see the chairwoman of the school system and give her a hug now. 
like it, it, it was an intense advocating process and one that was able to be done with the highest good in mind. Yes. Even when lawyers are involved, even when it takes three months and it's exhausting, even when I had my child home with me 24 hours a day at that time, because we had not yet reached an agreement and being able to take my own advice, focus on what you can do for yourself today, Sarah, don't worry about what you can't go do that. And I remember, you know, I didn't have any support at home during that time. It was during COVID. And I had a teacher who the district had come for two hours a day to work with my child. And that's certainly not a replacement for a full school day, but that's what the law says has to be provided while you're in, you know, this process. I would sit in the hall outside of the classroom, throw my yoga mat down in the hallway for those two hours and do my practice during that time, knowing he was in good hands right next to me, knowing that I could have made a choice to do other busy things at that time, but this was the thing that I really needed for myself to be my best and get through this process with my head held high. And I meet families all the time, even in my town now, where my son goes to school and is thriving, who didn't do that. And they allowed their child to be put in a different school that maybe they didn't feel great about, or they said yes to things just because they were offered. They never pushed back or asked questions. Even a lot of them don't even know what to ask. And I remember I bumped into someone shortly after we had come to agreement with our school district. And I asked her, Oh, you know, do you mind if I ask why you consented to the outcome that you have now, instead of something different? And she said, I didn't know I could say no. I just trusted that this team was the bunch of experts. And I'm, you know, I'll again, use air quotes, just the mom and said, okay. And I think it's so essential to think back, well, what's the point of all these spiritual practices? What's the point of healing and caring for yourself? Well, it's so that you can listen to your intuition, be present, be strong and confident enough to say no when your intuition says, mm -mm, this doesn't feel right, try something else, be able to stand firm and have boundaries, even when your boundaries are being pushed up against because someone else wants a different outcome. And that's what this is for. It's not just about looking super fit, though that's a nice byproduct, I always say. It's not about, you know, looking young and aging well, though that's a nice byproduct as well. It's about having the physical and mental and energetic reserves to be able to do the things that you need to do in your life so that when we are transitioning, knock on wood, when we're old and gray, we can look back on our lifetime and say, wow, I'm really proud of the things that I did. Yeah. I was recently at a retreat and Sarah Platfinger led a one hour, uh, just simple yoga. And, but she spent a bit of time talking about what yoga actually is. Yeah. And I always thought of it as stretching, flexibility, opening up energy, but she really talked about the purpose of the poses being that it's it, when you put your focus and your intention into it, it pushes you. And mm -hmm. it is in that moment of being face to face with your limit mm -hmm. that, and I'm, I may be getting this wrong, but it, it, it allows you to come face to face with that and to work through it yes. and, and to move beyond it. So it's not just about your physical limitations but your, your mental and your emotional and how it taps you in. And I thought that was a beautiful explanation. I had never heard it put that way. Now you have a book that is dropping. I, I think it's actually going to be today. The day that the podcast drops is the same day as uh, this book being available. And it's emotional healing for parents of children with autism. What's the case? that you make for the book. You and I talked about this before we started, I already know, but I want you to lay it out in the way that um, people understand 
how you're working to facilitate absolutely expansion in their life it's a culmination of everything we discussed so far today when you go internally as a parent to a kid with needs and even taking 10 minutes to do this can feel very edgy when you have someone who needs you in a real way 24 hours a day sometimes but when you take that time to turn your attention inward and do your own healing and the book lays out very simple straightforward ways and prompts to do this at home every day at whatever time of day works for you you will become the most empowered the most present the most joyful and peaceful version of you your child will be present to that and too often i see parents who have the mindset or are told to have the mindset of put all your energy into fixing your kid and so they will hire the therapists, hire the caregivers, even advocate for the school and do all of these things that take time, energy, and money and leave themselves at the bottom of the barrel. And when that happens, you can think that you're being the best parent, you know, giving your kids zero screen time and making sure they eat all their green vegetables, but your children feel the energy that you're holding. And if you want to give your child the greatest gift in your life, it is being available to be present and connect with them in a real tangible way. Even if you're just coloring in a coloring book together, but you're fully present to that. Your mind's not racing to future scenarios about what if my kid goes to college? What if they don't ever get married? But you're really in that moment with them. If you're taking a walk with them, if you're you know, reading a book together, being the best version of yourself allows those moments to feel like little teeny weeny wins that at the end of the day or the end of a month make you feel like, wow, I'm really doing this parenting thing well. And I feel really good about who I am. So the book is part memoir telling my story and how doing this has helped me but also laying out tools with visual prompts, with everything that a person might need to do this at home on their own. Because every parent to a kid with needs deserves to thrive. They all believe that their kids can thrive and they want their kids to thrive. Well, I'm here to say you deserve to thrive too. And when my son was two and newly diagnosed, I'm a reader. So I immediately went online and looked for the book that told me, the mom, how I could thrive through this process, which looked different than what I ever expected parenting to be. Well, the book didn't exist. All the books were about helping your kid. There was nothing there to help me. 10 years later, Penny, the book still didn't exist. So that's why I said, you know what? It's time for me to write this damn thing and get it out there because all these parents deserve to thrive too. And your children will thrive more because you do. And you know, I just have to give Rocco a shout out here. Absolutely. Because I've loved watching the journey that you've shared on social. Surfing yeah. is something that helps him. I'm getting chills from head to toe. If you know, you know. But surfing and being in that water is something that has helped him immensely. Now, for me as someone that this is not my child, my, my first thought goes to, uh, and you can speak to this in a moment because I, I'm going to use a word that I know that you you don't like, um, but I, I don't know how you frame it up, to have a, have a child who is nonverbal and to let them go on a surfboard out into the ocean when they can't communicate that, that you know, they, they may or may not be in trouble or whatever. How did you let go to allow him to do that? And what has being in the water done for him? A few things here. One a term I like to use is non-speaker or limited speaker, because there's a distinction around not being able to speak versus not understanding what words mean. And very often the word nonverbal implies that someone doesn't cognitively understand what a word means in addition to not being able to say it. So just that, putting that out there for anyone who's curious about it. Um, I also am not the word police, so use the words yeah. that you, but 
Um, my husband is an adept waterman, grew up in the ocean, ocean swimmer, surfer. I didn't learn how to surf until we were on our honeymoon. So I'm a late bloomer, but um, I trusted him implicitly. And he's the one who taught Rocco how to swim. I watched that process. Um, he was swimming without any type of floaty by the time he was three. He was swimming in the ocean without any type of floaty with an adult right there. Um, not long after that. And it was their way of bonding with each other because Ben as a parent didn't really know or feel confident with parenting a limited speaking nonverbal child. He felt confident in the water though. And he felt confident sharing. And very often when you're in the water, you don't even need words. You can't even talk if you're in the water with someone, even if you want to. And it's a great reminder that 80% of communication is nonverbal. It's your facial expressions, it's your gestures, it's your you know, energy that you're sharing. And that became a place for the two of them to bond. I didn't need to control that. I, I wanted them to have their own father and son relationship. And I was completely confident and trusting in him, having known him for years, having watched him, that he is in every other area of life, quite the warrior and the guardian of safety. You know, the kids would never dare leave the house without their bike helmet and take their bicycle out. So I wasn't worried about them being reckless. Um, but at the same time, the ocean is this ebbing and flowing alive thing. It, you can't control it. There's an element of surrender there that you have to be okay with. And I have to make peace with that every time I grab my surfboard and go out. But what it did was it gave Rocco a level playing field with other people. Well, I don't have to talk here. Nobody can really talk when they're underwater anyway. So I can do this. I'm just like everyone else. And it gave him, of course, from a tactile level, amazing sensory input. There's a, a book called Blue Mind by Dr. Wallace Nichols. And it talks about how being in the ocean, the elements of the ocean and the chemical composure of it have an effect similar to meditation on your brain. And so Rocco would go into the ocean and come out feeling his calmest, his most confident. And we would bring him to school on Monday, you know, after surfing on the weekend. And the teachers would say things like, we want everyone to have a case of the Mondays like Rocco has. He comes in and it's like, he's got his tail feathers fluffed up. He's feeling good about himself. And for him, it, it was very much like that. It gave him a place to say, oh, I can do these things. And he may not do them as fast as say my neurotypical daughter does, but he practiced day in and day out. I always say your child can do anything if you're willing to put your timeline out the window. So we just threw our timeline out the window and let him have his process. And because the ocean is always ebbing and flowing anyway, every day is different. You can't compare one day to the next. But what was really interesting is that as we started spending more time here in Montauk, where we live full time now, it was a great way for him to socialize with other people because he had surfing in common with them. And when we lived closer to New York City, people were always kind. They were always friendly but they sort of shied away from interacting with him because maybe they didn't know what to talk to him about. Maybe they didn't know how to act to a person who can't speak fluently. Whereas in Montauk, kids would just walk over and be like, hey dude, your wave was awesome. Give him a high five, just like they do with every other kid that they see, just like the adults say to every other adult. So it became a place where he was respected, like one of the guys, and that did wonders for his confidence as well. So it became really easy for me to say, go, jump in, take the risk, even though the waves are big today. And um, it's been incredibly special to see him blossom in that way. And I always think of, of it very much like what my yoga practice has done for me. It's been the thing that empowers me, that makes me think, oh, well, this yoga pose I thought was impossible. And slowly over time, it became possible. Hmm. what else is possible in my life? Just like those constructs you were talking about, those obstacles that we overcome physically and mentally. Surfing has been that for him. He's, you know, paddling himself into his own waves now, not perfectly all the time, but we certainly had teachers and therapists when he was really young who said he'll never do things like that. He didn't have the core strength. He didn't have the coordination. He didn't have whatever. And we just said, thanks, but no thanks. Your beliefs can be yours. And we're just open to seeing what 
what is possible for him. I, I think it's so important to, as a parent, to trust your instincts yeah. and to lean into that intuition because I, I took on a client pro bono back in February and she is where she is in her life at the age of 28 because when she was 19, her father did not listen when the physicians at John Hopkins told him to take his bedridden daughter home and make her comfortable because she would never get better. And she is walking at the mall with shopping, shopping cart now. Um, it, it, it's just, it's amazing what's possible when we lean into that. So where can people find the book? How can they support you? Are there other resources that you offer? Or maybe they should just follow you on social. Uh, also tell everyone about your podcast, please. Yeah. Um, the book available September 26th, Emotional Healing for Parents of Children with Autism. The working subtitle is The Journey I Never Expected to Take, but been the best journey ever. You can find it on any online retailer, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera. Um, there will be Kindle and audio versions coming out. Um, if you're somebody who is an Audible listener, that's coming, not on the 26th, but will happen as well. I know a lot of my busy mom and dads in my audience are listeners of things. So don't worry, I've got you. Um, speaking of listening, the podcast is Full Potential Thriving with Neurodiversities. And I love, love, love the information I'm able to give to families through the podcast. Often interviews with people in, from different walks of life, different modalities that you're not hearing about in schools or in the library or from the doctor, but can be very healing and supportive of you. Um, and just a place to come back and know that you're not alone and whatever it is you're struggling with, there are resources for you. I work with people um, both on one-on-one -on -one capacity and also a group capacity, which will be rolling out in September as well. Um, and you can find all of that through my website, sarahintonato.com. And I just get so stoked about seeing families thrive instead of letting stereotypes define them. And I meet so many families who feel frustrated, who feel like these glass ceilings exist that they don't want their child to be subject to, but don't know how to break through them. If this sounds like you, you are my people. Through my website, you can send me an email. You can book a roadmap session with me, just sort of your base camp one in terms of figuring out where are your next steps? Where's the best place to spend your energy now as a parent? Um, there's also a great free resource, which I'll give you the link to, which is five ways to reduce your stress now as a parent. And I would say, even if you think you got it handled, <laughs> click and get that resource now, because it's a great way to take a step back and say, oh, am I glossing over some of the simple, easy things that I could be doing to help myself because I'm so busy helping my kid? So those are the basics. I do share a lot on Instagram as well. Um, and I always welcome real conversations. I like to remind people I'm a real person behind the digital profiles and email address. So please never hesitate just to pop in and say hello. If this podcast resonated with you, send me a message, leave me a comment. I love having conversations and learning more about every family with needs because you may have heard the expression, Penny, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism and it looks different for every family. So I love interacting, continuing to learn, continuing to support in whatever way I'm meant to serve on this planet. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I just want to pile on a little bit to what you just said when it comes to stress in American society, specifically, we have normalized stress. We yeah. don't even recognize that our very day-to-day -day lifestyle, especially if you work a nine to five, our, our very lifestyle is packed with stress, but we think of it as normal. So yeah. if you're feeling aligned with Sarah, go get that resource. If you don't have children who are special needs and you're still interested in stress, I do have a podcast episode. I believe it's 148 
that came out recently, you can go listen to that episode and I dive a little bit more into stress there. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that I did not ask that you would like to address before we wrap this up? One quick thing that I'll leave people with is that one of the shocking but true facts I hear from every person that I speak with through my work is that all these families feel very alone and isolated. Even though autism is now one in 34 kids, they still feel very alone and isolated. And at this point, we have to ask why, you know, why do they feel so alone and isolated? And, you know, there are, I think, systemic reasons for that in terms of the way schools operate that were designed for neurotypical people. And if you don't fit into the box, go over here and kind of be quiet. Um, so I just want to say that you are not alone anymore. And if you feel an intuitive hit to reach out either to me or to Penny, please do. And we're here to foster real human connection. And as you said, you know, stress is something that's been normalized in our culture, but there's an enormous amount of evidence coming out now that the human brain was not designed to handle this amount of stress, this amount of stimulation, this amount of technology. And it's unprecedented. There's no time in history we can look back on to say, well, how do I deal with this? So all the more reason why we have to connect with one another, we have to learn to be present together, share tools that support each other, and make a bold statement to ourselves that we are not going to be swept up in what is normalized just because it's normalized. We can choose something better for ourselves. Exactly. So Sarah, thank you so much for being here. For everyone who is listening, you've heard me talk before about INI. INI is the law of reciprocity, giving without the expectation of anything in return. What I would love for you to do is to screenshot this episode, share it in your Facebook stories, share it in your Instagram stories, tag Sarah on Instagram. I will have all the links below and let's get this word out there that the parents of one in 34 children are not alone. It is a way for you to pay it forward and to be of service because this is what this is about, letting people know that there's help out there for them and they are not alone. So all the links will be in the show notes. I appreciate everyone who stuck around to listen. I know this was a long episode, but it was worth every single minute. I appreciate you all, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Destiny. I would love to know what resonated most with you. So just take a screenshot of this episode, share it over on your Instagram stories, and tag me at penny.chason, and let me know what you thought. Also, if you head over to iTunes and you leave a positive review, it helps this podcast to help reach even more people making a difference, elevating humanity and mankind.